Blog Talk Radio. I'm Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. Today I'm in the clinic offices of Dr. Rhodes, who is the inventor of the incredible and almost unbelievable machine called the Vector. We're going to be talking with him today about everything that he's discovered when it comes to addressing symptoms associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Dr. Rhodes, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Vector is designed to create circulation at the cellular level throughout the body. It's been shown that uh, virtually every disease is caused by not enough oxygen at the cellular level, and because of that, you have oxidative stress. Oxidative stress then creates a whole flurry of other problems. If uh, there's not enough oxygen, then reactive oxygen species are created. Reactive oxygen species are aquaphobic. They don't want to live in the cell inside. They want to live in the membrane of the cell because the membrane has lipids, and they are, they are lipophilic. They like lipids. So the, the uh, troubles with reactive oxygen species occur, particularly when the cell is undergoing mitosis, and the chromosomes are unwinding, and they get longer, and then the ends of the chromosomes, the centromeres, uh, which are covered by the telomeres, which are the buttons at the end, uh, get out near the cell membrane. And they then come under the control of these reactive oxygen species, and this will then uh, disrupt the telomeres, and, of course, that causes aging, uh, as shown by telomere shortening, and eventually will start working on the actual chromosomes and cause degradation of the chromosomes. Now, where this goes uh, in uh, Parkinson's disease, because this was primarily developed for chronic pain, it's FDA approved for chronic intractable pain, pain that doesn't go away. But chronic intractable pain always includes a whole uh, mishmash of other problems. It always includes carbohydrate metabolism dysfunction, uh, such as insulin resistance. You begin functioning as a pre-diabetic. It uh, will involve the uh, insomnia. The number one cause of insomnia is pain. Uh, It doesn't have to be horrible pain that you can't get out of a chair. Any ache and pain in your body is... uh, shown by substance P. Substance P is a chemical transmitter of pain. Substance P uh, also destroys the number one good guy that brings circulation to the cellular level throughout the body. So if you have pain, it cuts down on circulation, which then creates pain, which cuts down on circulation. You now have a circle. Circles are never-ending. So what Vector does is, uh, if you just imagine uh, an old Ford truck before they got smarter, and uh, you leave the lights on the truck and discharge the battery, 
You go out the next morning, try and start the truck. The truck won't start because the battery uh, no longer has charge. And all we're doing with Vector is starting the truck by jump-starting the battery. Nerves require 10 times as much oxygen as any other cell in the body, with the exception of the eyelets and langer hands. Unlike the eyelets and langer hands or any other cell in the body, nerves can only work when they have oxygen. They can only do oxidative respiration. They cannot do anaerobic respiration. So any other cell in the body besides the nerve can take sugar and degrade it to energy and lactic acid. Nerves can only take sugar plus oxygen degrade it to energy, carbon dioxide, and water. Therefore, what happens is uh, the nerves are the first to go south, and they're not creating these chemicals that they have to create. And then when people have peripheral neuropathy and all these other problems that go with this, uh, it's because the nerves require calcitonin gene-related peptide, which is the number one good guy that brings circulation to the cellular level so the nerves can work. However, if the nerves are shut down, they're not creating the chemical they have to make, and they can't work. So what we're doing with Vector is Vector reads temperature changes in your fingers in response to testing beat frequencies. Beat frequencies uh, is a code, if you would, for how often this comes into synchrony with itself. And as it does, it will create a beat, and that beat can then be slow enough that the sympathetic nervous system will listen to it. Sympathetic nervous system basically listens to 1 to 80 beats per second, uh, which is why TENS units don't work. TENS are 10,000 beats per second. So obviously, if it's only listening to 80 and under, 10,000 just goes flying by. It's never heard. And uh, what this does is the vector system then tests to find what is the best way to increase circulation at the cellular level. This is like putting your autonomic, automatic nervous system in charge and picking what your body needs. What your body needs in the morning and the evening could be completely different. If your body is tired, it may choose a beat frequency which is known to help people with chronic fatigue. If your body has an upset stomach, it will pick a different beat frequency that works better to settle your stomach. You mentioned a substance that most Parkinson's individuals have never heard of. That certainly they know about B12, they know about folic acid, they know about good diets, they know about exercise, but you mentioned something that I think most members of my audience really aren't very familiar with. So your vector machine is creating this chemical that most people haven't really heard anything about. So What's the mystery? How come people don't know this as a street word name? Well, the the problem is that medicine is very complicated. 
this is a kaleidoscope of different things all going on at the same time. And so what you need to uh, pick out is who's on first, who starts the ball rolling, and then you can keep it rolling from there. And so uh, the chemical that is the one that starts the ball rolling is called calcitonin gene-related peptide. This is the chemical that brings circulation to the cellular level of the body, throughout the body, but particularly the nerves. It also is the chemical that brings circulation to the skin, particularly your toes and your fingers. So if you have Parkinson's disease and you take your shoes off and let them sit for about five minutes so they will uh, not be as warm as they were in your nice warm socks and shoes and uh, reach down and touch your toes, in general you're going to find those toes are cold. And if they're cold, that's how much circulation is going to your nerves. So I know a number of listeners right now have probably written down the initial CGRP, and they're thinking what they can do is go to their pharmacist or their health food store and ask to get a container of this particular chemical. So why not just simply do that? Why not go to the pharmacy, get this chemical, and get this oxygen flowing through their body? Yeah, and that's what uh, modern medicine is always looking for, the magic bullet. Uh, CGRP, if you could put it in a capsule, would be a magic bullet. The problem is that it can be infused into your body through in a, in a laboratory, uh, but it needs to be dribbled out uh, throughout the day so that uh, your body has this chemical available, and it doesn't last very long in your body. Uh, it gets deactivated. And uh, substance P is the number one deactivator of CGRP. Uh, this is left over from our ancestors when uh, they were injured uh, and their skin was cut. Uh, it hurt. And uh, therefore, it was a very good thing to close down the circulation by pain. The problem is our bodies are not set up for chronic pain, which is uh, much more prevalent these days. Chronic pain uh, is uh, a pain that has last, lasted more than six weeks. It is uh, transmitted through the C fibers rather than the A delta fibers. Uh, Short-term pain is through the A delta fibers. That's the reason narcotics won't help long-term pain. Long-term pain has to have a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug such as aspirin, Advil, Celebrex, Voltaren, Naproxen. Whereas uh, short-term pain, you walk out in the parking lot and a car hits you, uh, morphine is going to really make you feel a whole lot better because it works on the A-delta fibers, which are short-term pain. But it's the C-fibers that run the automatic, autonomic nervous system, which is 80% of what your body does. Uh, only 20% is voluntary. You decide to walk to a door and you make that decision, you're going to do that, but 80% of what's going on is breathing and heart rate and digestion and all these other things. The problem is that our bodies were designed for uh, short-term 
stress. We were designed for 20-second stress. We weren't designed for 20-year stress. Um, and we, uh, uh, one of the stresses that nobody ever thinks of is white light. White light has blue-green, which destroys melatonin, which is why so many people have insomnia. They have trouble sleeping. 80% of the genes in the body run at night while you're asleep. These are the restorative genes. These are the genes that heal the body. So if you are not sleeping, particularly between midnight and 1 in the morning, which is the maximum production of melatonin, uh, or if you have chronic pain, so the nerves in your body are shut down, so you're not creating these vasoactive neuropeptides that keep your toes and fingers warm, then you're not going to sleep very well. Uh, you may wake up. Uh, and, of course, uh, on top of that, if you're not making these vasoactive neuropeptides, these chemicals that open circulation to the skin, then you're going to get leakage of fluid out into the skin, which will then get you out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because you put your feet up and these fluids then get back into the bloodstream and all of a sudden you've got too much fluid in the circulatory system. It goes to the bladder and you got to get out of bed. And if you see a white light that has blue-green, it destroys melatonin. And then you will not sleep as well. So you can either run vector and, and, and sleep uh, the normal amount, which we showed in a study with uh, the Shen muscular dystrophy children in wheelchairs, that at the end of six months, the interrupted sleep disappeared. At the end of one year, the sleep apnea disappeared. And the mantra, which everybody knows, is that interrupted sleep leads to metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome leads to sleep apnea. Sleep apnea leads to diabetes. And, of course, Parkinson's disease and diabetes are related. We'll be right back with Dr. Rhodes, who will be discuss discussing his results working specifically with individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Many individuals with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease are well aware of a degradation in their myelin sheaths, that little covering that is basically insulating their sensitive neurons. If I understood your earlier comment, uh, you're suggesting that that degradation might have possibly something to do with oxygen. Yeah, the, the uh, most... Uh fragile parts of the nerves are this myelin covering. Uh, these are all the A nerves, A alpha, beta, and delta. And A alpha nerves go to the muscles. A beta nerves go to the vibratory uh, hairs. That's why the cat has those big, long whiskers. Uh, A delta is short-term pain. And then you have the C fibers that are not myelinated. Uh, most of the nerves in our body are C fibers. However, what happens is myelin is very sensitive to a lack of oxygen, and you start to get Wallerian degeneration, degeneration of the myelin sheath, and you now get bare spots. And this is no different than the wires in the wall where you have a hot wire, a cold wire, and ground wire, and you have the rats up in the ceiling chewing on the insulation, and all of a sudden you start to get short circuits, and 
you turn a light switch on in one room and lights come on in a different room because of that short circuit. This is the cause of restless legs syndrome, which many of the Parkinson folks have. Uh, can have it to the so badly that uh, they'll actually start wearing out their sheets, rubbing on their with their heels, uh, because and the heels will be rough uh, because uh, they get non-pruritic lichenification in uh, particularly on the bottom of the feet. That's a white crudely crud stuff on the bottom of the feet. They come because there's not enough circulation normally, and then they get out in the heat, and then there's better circulation, reactive hyperemia. They get increased blood flow due to the warmth, and uh, so then the skin cells start to grow, and then they go back in the air conditioning, and they're cooler again, particularly if they're in bare feet, and the skin cells die. That's where the non-pruritic lichenification comes from. Uh, but the... Uh, the the worst uh, symptoms are called allodynia. Allodynia is where the sheet rubs against your foot, and instead of the sensation of a sheet ran across my foot, uh, what happens is uh, you feel like your feet are burning up. And so you'll actually feel better if you go out and stand in the snow, but you're actually making it worse. The reason that standing in the snow or ice uh, will make the symptoms better is to some extent the swelling goes down, but more importantly, myelin only works if it's normal temps. So if you put ice on it, the myelin quits working and the nerves quit transmitting, so you don't feel it. This is also why sometimes Parkinson folks will look down at their feet because they think there's a bug crawling across their foot or a hair has touched their foot, and that's just because they're getting sensations, these nerves are firing. They're not supposed to be firing, but they're firing because the myelin is damaged. And so one nerve is cross-talking with another nerve, and with whatever that nerve is supposed to tell your brain when it gets to the brain, up until the brain, it's only an electrical signal. Depending on where in the brain it goes, that becomes the interpretation of the electrical signal. If then the myelin sheaths need oxygen, why wouldn't then a recommendation for people be to simply breathe more deeply? Well, the problem is not usually that you're not getting the oxygen into the lungs, into the alveoli. The problem is getting the oxygen from the blood to where it needs to go. And that's where CGRP opens these uh, sphincters, these valves, and allows the flow of blood to the areas that it needs. And so usually uh, with all the Parkinson patients I have evaluated, uh, the circulation at the ankle is per perfectly fine. The uh, pressure uh, compared to the arm, which is the ankle brachial index, is normal. The waveform is normal. However, when you go out and look at the digital arteries in the toes, it's usually abnormal. And the capillary filling time, which is actually the blood flow at the level of the capillary cells, uh, the cells that the capillary is, is bringing this oxygen circulation to, is abnormal. should be under two seconds, and it'll be anywhere up to 10 seconds. And uh, so what happens is then... The pulse ox may be absolutely normal, but it isn't getting where it needs to go. 
So now, if I understand some of the reasoning here, it sounds like a person with Parkinson's that has particularly cold feet and even cold hands would suggest they're not making enough of this CGRP. Why can't they simply wear really thick, warm socks and good insulated gloves to get those hands and feet warmed up? Well, and that you know that uh, comes back to a chicken and egg type of thing. Uh, one of the things that uh, I did back when a million years ago when I was a student uh, was I was a student in Ohio where we saw uh, certainly much more many more times uh, patients with uh, frostbite or pregangrenous uh, lesions due to a lack of circulation in their extremities uh, than than I see in in Houston, Texas. Uh, and uh, the problem with somebody where they don't have enough circulation in, in the skin and nerves and those tissues are going to die because of the cold, if you bring them in a ro- warm room, you actually speed up the death of the tissue because the warmth will increase the need for oxygen faster than the blood flow will bring the oxygen into the tissues. Uh, and, of course, it's even better with CGRP because CGRP actually opens the valve. But what I showed when I was a student is that if you did an ankle bracelet of uh, numbing solution where you knocked those nerves out that were, were slowing down the blood flow, so you actually increase the blood flow, similarly what I do electronically now, non-invasively, that you were we were able to save toes and feet that you couldn't have without increasing that circulation. So it's much better to increase the temperature by increasing the circulation than it is to increase the temperature of the skin hoping to increase the circulation. So the way that you increase the temperature, basically, of the hands and the feet has something to do with these little... Uh, patches that are placed on the fingers and the feet that are connected to your invention called the vector. Now, what is exactly being sent through those patches? Is it light? Is it sound? Or is what's being sent a very, very low electrical frequency? And does it hurt? And of course, first and foremost, it doesn't hurt. Uh, I've had patients who said that they thought they would get more out of the treatment if it was making some noise because you can't feel it. Um, and it is a, a very low uh, electrical signal, uh, very specific, where we're getting it slow enough that the sympathetic nervous system fibers are listening to what we are sending. And then we're using it through acupuncture points, reflexology points, acupressure points, free nerve endings, so that we are running from one foot to the other foot, from one hand to the other hand, and going uh, through uh, the upper or lower back and uh, in the areas of the brachial sympathetic plexus and the lumbar sympathetic plexus that are controlling all of the automatic, autonomic nervous system functions in the body. And uh, then the patient is using uh, protocols which are nothing more than color-coded maps of where you put these uh, sticky electrodes on these various areas so that we're sending the signal from 
uh, the right foot to the left foot, and then back to the right foot, back to the left foot. Uh, same thing for the hands. It's an alternating current running back and forth, and the uh, function, the actual uh, type of treatment is interferential. Interferential treatment is when you have uh, two sine waves slightly offset from each other that come into synchrony, and so you're able to take uh, a carrier frequency of 1500 uh, hertz, 1500 beats per second, and if you're only going in synchrony, then you can slow that down to 1 to 80 hertz, 1 to 80 cycles per second, which is exactly what the sympathetic nervous system fibers will listen to. You've discussed then two systems, sympathetic and parasympathetic. In terms of Parkinson's, is there a good guy and a bad guy here? Well, <laughs> it, the the uh, the bad guy is the guy who is uh, over controlling, and it's the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is set up as a protective mechanism against real or perceived threats, and uh, it it protects you by uh, changing uh, circulatory patterns so that it will funnel all of the blood or most of the blood into the big muscles so you can run or you can fight. Uh, this is the old fight and flight uh, syndrome. It, it actually now is, they call it fight, flight, and fright. You can just sit in the corner and be scared. Uh, but the uh, bloodstream is uh, diverted away from the digestive tract, away from the nerves and the skin, uh, which is why uh, if you have a bad uh, scare, uh, your hands will be ice cold uh, and uh, the little muscles aren't getting enough oxygen, so you'll be quivering uh, and you may get sick to your stomach. But what is not seen is you're also taking it away from the bones and the nerves. And... Uh, that's fine to take it away for 20 seconds, which is what it's really designed for, 20-second protective mechanism, but not 20 years. You take it away for 20 years, bad things happen. At the same time, the way uh, the uh, body responds is to uh, break down uh, the uh, insulin, the proto-insulin, so that you can move sugar out of the bloodstream into the muscles uh, it's not enough to move the to move circulation to the muscles. You got to give it the power to fight, and that's the sugar coming out of the bloodstream. And at the same time, uh, the body is 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 told to break down glycogen. Glycogen is the storehouse of sugar, uh, and uh, this keeps the sugar level in the body normal. However, the problem is. Uh, if you've been doing this for 20 years, is the nerves have been cut off from circulation. Therefore, they're not what, making what they need to make. And if they don't make what they need to make, you don't have any glycogen. So you become a hypoglycemic. And you then get worse and worse as far as anxiety attacks. And when you get uh, scared, uh, you will react negatively to it worse and worse as you go. So the big picture 
as I understand it, would be if a person is always anxious and if they are always fearful, the truth is they're just not getting enough oxygen to their neurons. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's always more complicated than, than a simplistic look at it. That it's not just a one thing going on. But yeah, that that's that's the crux of the situation. Is that if you're not getting enough oxygen to the nerves, they don't may need make what you need to make. If they don't mean make what you need to make, then everything keeps going down the hill. So anxiety and nightmares and and even things that you wouldn't think are connected together, uh, claustrophobia is very common because you get in an elevator, crowded uh, elevator, it's hot, humid, and not everybody's had a shower recently, uh, it's going to set it off. And, of course, smells will set off a lot of these uh, autonomic nervous system dysfunctions because the only nerve that goes in, the only cranial nerve that goes into the limbic system, which is the highest level of control of the autonomic, automatic nervous system, is olfactory, smell. And so many people are very sensitive to perfume, burning wood, oily smells, burnt diesel fuel, that type of thing. Dr. Rhodes, could you please discuss your experience in using the vector treatments on individuals who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's disease? Yeah, we've we've only seen a, a, a few folks with Parkinson's. Most times they uh, uh, don't think of coming here first because really what I'm known for is chronic pain. However, uh, we had a singer-songwriter with Parkinson's. He did very well. And his neurologist got interested in this. So we did a small five-patient single-arm study, meaning that everybody had uh, the real treatment. And uh, so we, we did about five months of real treatment. Five out of five people got better. They did. He did his standard testing for Parkinson's disease and had significant improvement in all phases of that. Uh, so he... Uh, has thought, well, all right, let's let's take the machine away for one month and see what happens. And of course, the uh, the the classic one out of this group was a fella who, at the beginning of the study, could not button his own shirt. And of course, that causes frustration. If you're frustrated, it causes decreased circulation to the nerves, and you get worse. But within uh, a month or two, he was able to button his own shirt. He buttoned his own shirt all the way up to five months. We took the machine away for that last month, and at the end of the month, he couldn't button his own shirt. So I said, well, you know, you could button your shirt when you were running the machine. And he said, no, I couldn't. And I had to actually pull out my video cam, which had been recording each of these folks, at each of these intervals, uh, monthly intervals, and show him on tape buttoning his shirt and how excited he was about it. And the reason that he couldn't remember is not that he didn't want to remember, it's that memory is run by glycogen. Glycogen is run by these same chemicals. So uh, the uh, part of the problem with Parkinson is the brain senior moments, brain burps, where you walk into a room and you can't remember why you walked into the room. 
and uh, those disappear with this treatment. And every one of the five people got better with the doctor's testing, with the uh, the uh, standard Parkinson testing that was done. And uh, but never went anywhere. We need uh, funding, of course, to run a double-blind, randomized, placebo-control and show how this works for folks with Parkinson's disease. A person interested, then, in perhaps pursuing Vector as an option for their treatment needs to consider the reality that getting, let's say, two weeks of treatment might really provide some relief, but they're going to have to acknowledge that this is something that they're going to have to continue with day in or day out or week in and week out. Would that be a fair statement or summary? Yes, absolutely. And, is you know, everybody's looking for the magic bullet, a, a pill or even a shot. Uh, that would fix the problem, and, and the answer is that it really doesn't exist. Uh, this treatment does require commitment. Uh, it's uh, treatment in the morning and the evening, a uh, total of 80 minutes in the morning, 80 minutes in the evening for the first month. After that, just 80 minutes in the evening. But most everybody sits down and watches TV for a couple hours every night. Uh, certainly, you can sit down and watch a, watch a movie with your spouse. Uh, and uh, uh, the the beauty of it is not painful. Uh, and then uh, you basically have two choices. You can uh, get a doctor uh, uh, where you live to sign the prescription so that we can send you the machine because it is a prescription-requiring device. Um, and uh, you can be trained by uh, the online videos. Uh, or you can come here, you basically come for five days, you're trained how to do this exactly correctly, and uh, we uh, then offer an online manual uh, that will give you updated protocols as you need them. Uh, the vector unit will test for circulation each time you run it, and uh, will tell you if you need a new protocol. This one's not adequate. It's not creating enough circulation to be considered good. When you use the term protocol, then, as I understand it, protocol means the actual positions where you put these uh, electrodes on the hands or the feet. And so there's not a standard protocol for persons who have a diagnosis of Parkinson's. There are actually hundreds and hundreds of different options that might actually help a particular individual. So there's not a standard procedure for persons with a diagnosis of Parkinson's. How would a person know exactly how to proceed? Yeah, and they, they basically uh, a protocol is nothing more than a color-coded map where you put these sticky electrodes on your feet and on your hands. And and so, yeah, we can have a uh, hundred different patients with Parkinson's disease and exactly the same other problems, the comorbidities, the back pain, shoulder pain, uh, dry eyes, wet eyes, uh, trouble sleeping, digestive problems, and you could start with 100 exactly the same, and a month or two later, they'll be on 100 different protocols because the patient's uh, automatic, autonomic nervous system is dictating when you need 
new protocols. And on top of that, if you you start off with a, uh, a variety of complaints as you go along, these complaints will disappear, and uh, uh, and new ones may show up. You may uh, uh, get out of bed and fall on your right knee. So then uh, you can go to the online manual, uh, sign in with your username and password, and ask for a right knee protocol, and then the right knee pain will go away. The reason pain is so important is that pain cuts off circulation and starts the whole trip downward. And uh, uh, we were talking uh, offline about the uh, st- some of the interesting things they found is that uh, uh, patients who have gout uh, don't usually end up with Parkinson, and Parkinson patients don't usually end up with gout. That's because the higher uric acid levels, which are seen in gout, actually help protect you from Parkinson's disease because Parkinson's disease is caused by oxidative stress and the higher uric acids actually protect you against oxidative stress. Now, are you available to provide instructional support for individuals who would like to come see you in Houston and also provide the actual vector machine for them to use at home? Yes, sir. The uh, vector machines are created, you know, they're manufactured in Austin, Texas, and uh, people come here, and on day one, we spend about three hours to verify that this treatment is going to work, and we do this with three uh, non-invasive, non-painful testing, which involve uh, circulation, nerve testing, and then heart rate variability, which is a composite of parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system activity. So you're looking at the sympathetic activity and the parasympathetic activity, and of course what you'd like to be able to see is an enhancement of the parasympathetic and a reduction in the sympathetic as this treatment unfolds. Would that be a fair summary? Yes, exactly correct that that there are two halves of the autonomic, automatic nervous system. The parasympathetic calms things down, and the sympathetic nervous system is the one that wires you up to get ready for trouble. And the problem is so many of us are in the wired state and not in the calm state, and uh, that slowly uh, destroys our body. So people who are listening, if they find that they're always anxious, always on edge, always uh, uh, nervous, uh, this obviously might be an option they might want to seriously consider. So what would be the cost involved for a person who comes here to Houston in terms of staying in a hotel and, and, and getting your expertise and then also actually purchasing the Vector machine? The first day, like I said, is about three hours and uh, testing questions from me, questions from the patient. Basically, what we're doing is also not only making sure that this is going to help you, but we're also making sure that you have the knowledge to help protect yourself, that if you understand the enemy, uh, you can do a much better job of uh, feeling that this is not somebody has a voodoo doll of you and poking pins in it, and that's why you got Parkinson's disease, uh, is actually a biochemical uh, problem that we can reverse. 
Uh, as far as dollars and cents, the first day is $950 for the three hours, and uh, then you can rent the machine for five days for $500. Uh, the four follow-up visits are $100 each. They're about an hour each time. And uh, then at the end of the fifth day, uh, usually, although occasionally uh, people will stay over for a couple of extra days if they have a more complicated problem, uh, we uh, go ahead and, and uh, at that point the patient would purchase the machine for an additional 4500 In other words, the machine actually costs 5000 but that 500 down payment or deposit, if you would, uh, is applied to the purchase price. And uh, the... Uh, only expense after that is you'll burn up about $300 of electrodes per year. But all of these other problems that come with Parkinson's and don't usually get addressed but are contributing to the Parkinson's because if it's nothing more than insomnia or brain burps when you walk into a room, can't remember why you walked into the room, uh, those cause frustration, which cuts off circulation, which makes the Parkinson's worse. So in the end, a person will have an actual experience using the vector machine at their hotel for four or five days, and then they can make a decision on whether or not they want to actually purchase the vector machine. Correct. And, and uh, usually we have about 80% of the people notice a difference by day four. Now, you mentioned you're from Houston, but I believe actually you're just north of Houston in what would probably be considered a suburb, the Woodlands. How do people get in touch with you? The uh, best way is either to contact me at Vector.com, which is Dr. Rhodes at Vector.com, and that's D-R-R-H-O-D-E-S, at Vector, which is V-E-C-T-T-O-R, two T's in there, uh, dot com. And uh, the uh, the other way is our landline is 281-259-8563. And I try and call everybody back within 24 hours. Every so often it gets to be 48 People listening to this particular program obviously are anxious to find options that will help them reverse their symptoms. Could you give just a summary statement about what you see the vector might have to offer to them in terms of a long-term solution to the challenges that they confront? The uh, folks that I've seen with Parkinson's disease have noticed a uh, radical improvement in energy level radical improvement in sleep. They just feel better. They see better. They hear better. They just are happier. And what's nice is the better you feel, the more you move, and uh, movement is life. In the end, however, this is something they have to take responsibility for. They actually have to do these treatments. You're not actually doing anything to them. Would that be a fair summary? Absolutely, that that this is a commitment. Is, is it for everybody? No. Uh, is it the best thing? Yes. Uh, we've got a lot of people who uh, do this along with uh, allopathic medicine, 
where they're using medications, but they're using less of them. Uh, and, and certainly we see that in the patients with diabetes. Uh, in general, the use of medication is reduced 50%. Uh, most times the blood pressure normalizes. Uh, many of the patients are able to give up the antihypertensive medicines. Uh, it just everybody's different. There is no one thing that can be uh, applied to everyone. Everyone requires something different. Uh, well, many of the patients, uh, uh, when I'm explaining how how this works, is different for everybody. And I, one of the patients, I explained, you know, that that uh, Parkinson. Uh, Patients are are like snowflakes. Where I was going is, they're all different. And the patient looked at me and said, "Doc, are you saying we're all a little flaky?" So, if a individual is seriously handicapped in a wheelchair, has basically tried pretty much everything imaginable, and nothing has really helped, should they really even consider the option of coming to see you absolutely they uh, uh, some of the patients have told me I'm the last re- the court of last resort uh, some of them also do the Monty Python thing where they say well doc you're the you're the one that stops the unstoppable help the unhelpable and you know fix the unfixable so yeah it's it it's it's uh, uh, truly amazing how far people can go if you just give them the right building blocks so in the end, there are a lot of doctors that look at supplements and other kind of symptomatic treatments, but it sounds like what you're actually doing is addressing the problem at the core source. Exactly. That The supplements, uh, of course, uh, usually are ingested. Uh, you don't want to be uh, getting poked for the B12 when it's available nasal spray or absorb underneath the tongue sublingually. Uh, and you got to realize that part of the problem with this disease is you're not making these vasoactive neuropeptides, these, these nerve chemicals that open the circulation. One of the main ones that does not get created is called vasoactive intestinal polypeptide, VIP, jokingly called very important peptide. And it not only creates chemicals in the brain that prevent Parkinson's, it also is controlling the circulation of the digestive tract. The digestive tract is set up to be somewhat anoxic, in other words, not have very much oxygen, not very much circulation, so it absorbs good things from the food going through. However, (laughs) if it gets too low, then the cells begin to die and you stop absorbing from your food what you should be absorbing. Many of the people with Parkinson's uh, even if they're on an excellent diet, are not absorbing what they need to absorb simply because the digestive tract is not working very well. And uh, that's one of the main things that comes back with this treatment. Many of the listeners to this program are well aware that the research recently has indicated that the root cause of Parkinson's symptoms really happen to be digestive. So this really strikes at the core of what we now know happens to be the reason why so many people are having neurological challenges. You've covered so many fascinating topics here in this interview, Dr. Rhodes. 
What is the one takeaway you want people to remember from this specific interview? I'm very fond of the old adage that money isn't everything, but it's right next to oxygen as far as something you got to get. But oxygen is number one on the list of what you have to have. If you don't have oxygen, it doesn't matter how much money you have, game's over. And uh, the same thing is true for the cells throughout your body. And uh, sometimes we'll get patients will say, you know, you know, I'm not sure how much, you know, that applies. And I always say, okay, let's put a rubber band around the tip of your finger. You tell me when you want to take that rubber band off. Because the rubber band completely stops circulation going into the end of your finger. And you're not going to leave that on very long because without circulation, there is no life. Dr. Rhodes, on behalf of the thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to answer all of the questions about your incredible invention, the Vector, today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, bring this to everyone's attention that, that this is a viable option, and the beauty is that when people are diagnosed with a particular disease, they look at that uh, as this is this is the cross they're bearing without realizing all the splinters that they are picking up from carrying that cross. And so they won't realize that if you have Parkinson's and you have digestive problems, they're related. You have Parkinson's and you have back pain, they're related. Uh, you have shoulder pain, it's related. You have brain burp, it's related. The beauty of this treatment is we're going to the lowest common denominator of all these different things so that when you fix one, you fix all. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound. This is Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this incredible interview and discovery today.